Welcome to Talent Hub Talk. I'm Ben Duncan, and on this podcast, I will be interviewing prominent and inspirational figures from both the local ANZ and global Salesforce Ohana. In today's episode, I am joined by Maria Hummer, a lead Salesforce solution architect from Austin, Texas. Maria shares her career story from a non-technical background, how she found her way into Salesforce, and how she has navigated her progression and path to Solution Architect. Maria discusses balancing Salesforce consulting with family life, whether there is a misconception that consulting isn't for working parents, and how she sets boundaries to ensure she is able to prioritize what is most important to her. Maria also shares what companies can do to attract working parents and what she would look to see from a company if she was a job seeker. Finally, Maria discusses certifications and how she decides what is important for her and whether or not CTA is a goal she is striving for. A really, really interesting episode. I hope you get some value from what Maria has to say. I'm sure you will. And if you do, please do subscribe for future episodes that are coming through. Maria, thank you so much for joining us. Really excited to hear your story today. Thank you. Glad to be here. So let's start looking uh, backwards and then kind of assess how you got to the point you're at today and, and go over your journey. What, what did you do before Salesforce and uh, how did you find your way into Salesforce? Yep, great question. Like most people in the ecosystem, I have what would be considered a non-traditional path. Maybe non-traditional is the traditional path. I worked right out of college at a religious nonprofit that to this day was my dream job at the time. I loved what I did. It was a lot of fun. I had graduated with a liberal arts degree, so wasn't even sure I'd get a job as the recession was starting. So everything was good. But after several years in that role, for several reasons, I needed to move into um, a different role. I'm uh, based in Austin, Texas. So, you know, of people that are familiar with Texas and Austin, it was a growing tech hub, still is a growing tech hub. And so I moved into kind of a, a role that seems unintuitive. I moved from a communication director role into a technical support role. And my job title was actually technical support ninja. <laughs> so really, really fun role. And we used Service Cloud at that company in the technical support space. And so as I learned more about the tool and kind of looked at what my options were moving upward, I decided against kind of moving into management or other business units. And my mother is actually a Salesforce developer. She's been in it for most of my life. And she suggested that I look into Salesforce because she could tell just based on my conversations about what I did for work ways to improve things. She said, you know, you'd make a good BA. You have a brain for solving process problems and looking at them with a lens of how could I do this with software? So that's how I started this path towards Salesforce. So when, uh, when you were in this uh, ninja role and you, you came across Service Cloud, like, was, was it a tool familiar to you because of your, your, your mom having been in Salesforce for a while? Like, did you know much about the ecosystem at that point? Honestly, I didn't. And what's really neat is we transitioned into service cloud from a different service system. So I actually got to be an end user in a software transformation project, right? And so I do this today as a consultant. I move end users, their processes, and sometimes what applications they use. But I got to see an example of what it's like to sit in that chair 
be trained on a totally new system and then have to walk in, take live calls and, and handle that. And so I'd say I, I wasn't familiar with Salesforce back then. It was classic and the UIs varied widely based on how customized, you know, the interface was. But I'd say until that time, I'd never worked with a tool like that where a pop-up would show my phone call. I could click it and automatically have it. Cases would be made, contacts would be made. That was my first exposure to that. So what made you want to then actually, obviously you, you took your mum's advice, but what made you want to be a Salesforce professional? Yeah, I think, so there were a couple of things. One was, you know, I was at a growing startup and I, I came in from the support side, saw that there was a lot of appetite to continue to improve. And I also saw that, you know, with, I got exposed to this idea of releases and putting out new functionality because one of the areas that I was supported in is like, learn more about the service cloud thing. And as they were, you know, issue product releases, see that how that could help our team. So of course you get into the release notes and it's really easy to see, oh, there's also a sales area of this, right? And our company happened to use it. We used the the lead piece and we used what was then called Live Agent, now Salesforce Chat. And so I could broadly see, hey, this software thing, this Salesforce thing clearly has its hooks in a lot of different business units. And those all have interesting problems to solve. And even at that time, this would have been around like maybe 2000. 13, they were making a play to things being declarative. So I could see myself in a place where I could take some of the enhancements they were putting in their software and try to approach solving business problems without needing to be a coder. And that was a really interesting place because I'm not aware of any other applications where you could end up creating an app with a UI and custom processing without needing to know code. Yeah, absolutely. So what were the, like, once you'd, you'd identified that that was now your, your kind of path that you wanted to go down, what were the challenges in making that happen? Yeah, I'd say so. The, the obvious challenge to me was I wanted to get a job in this field and I had no experience in it, right? I'd only ever been an end user. And I think that's still a big block to coming into the industry. For me, I just, I continued in my one-on-ones with my managers saying, this is something I'm interested in. I got a dev org. I demoed some stuff, proof of concepts. For me personally, it was getting an offer at another company and then my current company counteroffered with a junior admin role. Not sure that's going to be a strategy for everybody, but I would say if you have an appetite, it's very simple to spin up a dev org and start to show to your manager, hey, I have an appetite for this and I can also prototype some solutions for you. Are you willing to invest in me growing in this path? You know. Yeah, I love that because I think a lot of people wouldn't do that necessarily. They, they wouldn't have the, I guess, the, the foresight to actually take it to their current employer and show them something and say that, you know, just show that hunger and the appetite and the thinking to go and, and present something and, and hope that that would lead into an opportunity. And then obviously it did. And, and they counter offered you based on the fact that they'd seen that you were hungry and, you know, maybe they should have offered you that job sooner uh, without having to counter offer you, but it, it kind of worked out in your favor in the end. Yep. I think that's the dicey thing about counter offers. And I probably am still in the camp of most of the time you shouldn't take it because you were probably underappreciated, but this one worked out well for me. Yeah, they absolutely can. You know, they can. And I think uh, that you know, we won't go too deep into counter offers. I think me and Chris Hopper discussed that at length last week. So uh, we'll, we'll avoid that topic. But what is interesting is obviously you've, you've progressed um, and now you are an architect. And I think there are a lot of people that, that you know, come from a non-technical background and a non-IT background completely like yourself that have aspirations to do the same. So what, what advice um, do you have for people that, you know, might be doing a, a, an IT support role or an admin, a Salesforce admin role or, you know, a functional consultant role, but they, they don't have that wealth of IT background beforehand. 
to then make those strides into being an architect in the future? Yep, great question. And I'd say like one caveat I would just put out there for people listening to this is like, I'm not a CTA, but when you start to be uh, somebody who is building and designing to solve business processes, you are doing the work of an architect, whether that's your title or not. And so I want to point out, these are strategies to grow your chops and your experience in understanding the breadth of business problems to solve and the variety of ways with Salesforce we can solve them, right? That's what makes you an architect, not a title, not necessarily a certification, that kind of thing. So I'd say there's a couple of key things that I would recommend. First is Trailhead. So I started in Salesforce before Trailhead, and it is such a cool way to get involved and understand like what is Salesforce building? It's basically them marketing. Here's what we do and here's how you learn it so that you can be successful on our tool, right? I love how they have trails for end users. That might be a good place to start if you're not technical. I went back and did like the trailhead unit for sales reps when I had been probably in the Salesforce space for three years because I wanted to understand my end users better. And I said, Salesforce has put a lot of time and investment into this trail about how sales users think and what they click on and what they do. And it really gave me some insight into what they care about versus what might be cool for me to build. So to get on trailhead, you know, find these trails of things that you're passionate about. If you want to go that proof of concept route, find some trails that could help you get quickly up to speed on what you could build in that. The nice thing about Trailhead as a learning platform is it's it's really fun content to consume. They they have fun business scenarios with real people. It's not like a boring textbook that you read and apply, right? And there's some gamification elements, you earn badges, so definitely recommend that. The other thing is like of course that's great, you can learn whenever online, but then the Salesforce community itself has a lot of user groups, admin groups specifically. There's also groups that are specific to particular tools, like whether it's CPQ, whether it's knowledge base, things like that. I take advantage of those. One cool thing about the reality of this pandemic we're in is a lot of these meetings are happening virtually. So like you probably couldn't have attended a meeting or expected to watch a recording of a meeting in London if you're not in London. But now I can go see a Pardot meeting from London, even though I didn't attend because everything's online right now. So take advantage of that. The other thing I'd recommend this worked out really well for me is look for a role at a fast growing company, even if the role may seem beneath you. So I, again, I moved from a communication director to a customer support role. I was a ninja and that ended up being the catalyst for my career in Salesforce, right? And the thing I've seen working with that startup and now a couple of different companies in hyper growth mode as a consultant is fast growing companies with smart leaders are going to recognize talent, okay? And so if you're clearly talented, you're going to get to meet talented people and roles you might be interested in, they will have worked at other companies, seen people like you, seen career paths you may not even be aware of, seen people's trajectories and give you that advice. With startups, what I found is, you know, they're really happy for people to volunteer or step up to help learn the ropes across business units. You know, when I was in support, sales, marketing, they were super excited to have someone who talked to customers daily. That's what you do as a support rep, right? Knew the platform because you support it to be able to say, I want to help understand how I can support your business units. And by the way, oh, you use Salesforce. Maybe I can help you there too. You know, by the time I was done with, with the one startup that I was at, I had worked across sales, marketing, support, 
partners, knowledge, chat, community. And that's within three years of being hired in a tech support role. The only reason those opportunities were available to me is because it was a fast growing startup, right? A, a slower company, might maybe it's sales cloud, maybe that's yeah. it. So you need to look for a place that's got that opportunity as well. And then obviously you have progressed since that point and, and you've, you've moved on from that company and, and you've progressed from the support role to an architect. So how have you approached progression and how have you worked out what you wanted to do next after each role? So, you know, going from support into your next position, how did you identify that path? Yeah. So there was a, there was a concept at the startup I'll go back to that I really took it upon myself to adapt it to my personal life. Our CFO used to say, you know, if you keep your eyes open here, you'll end up earning your MBA. And what he meant was we're growing really fast when you're in a startup and it's growing really fast. Everybody's following a book, right? And it might be MBA for startups, but you're going to see these things. And a concept that the company had was quarterly, we'd identify major business objectives or MBOs, okay? And then every department had to have goals related to those. So I took that approach personally. And so I have a an actual sheet. It's a one note of Maria's MBOs. My MBOs include some key areas, which are my faith, my family, my health, my happiness, and my career. And my career is last. So if my priority of things, any goals that I have for my career need to support those other goals that tie to family, health, whatever. So as I learned and looked upward to say, where can I go? I was always saying, what's the travel requirement for that? Or would I have to work after hours? Would I have to be on call? And I, I took that approach with saying, what do I want to do next? Part of that function is would it detract from these other areas that are important to me? Yeah, nice. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think a lot of people um, don't have that view, you know, they, and they don't necessarily have it. it a lot of people um, have a career goal, and that's very much what they're striving towards, and and everything's kind of tiered to get them to that point. So it's it's interesting that that was kind of like you said, the last thing on on your journey, which brings mm -hmm. me nicely to the next question, which is if an, anyone looks at your LinkedIn profile. They will see that you're a mum first and Salesforce second, which which is exactly as you just said, you know, family comes before career. But you do work in consulting. And I think there's this idea or belief that a working parent, you know, consulting might not be the best environment for a working parent or, you know, the, the work life balance might be quite difficult if you're working in consulting. Is that a misconception? Yeah, I definitely think that that is a misconception. And I would put it in a broader misconception that work-life balance means you can't balance your work and your family life. I think the key to figuring out how you make that work is what does the balance mean to you? And so for me specifically, I looked for no expectation that I'm on call outside of say a go live, which is pretty typical. I, even if I worked at a, uh, a company that was not a consultancy, I'd expect to be available correlating to a major release, right? I am not responsible for responding to email or Slack out of hours, right? And, you know, that's another thing that's really important to me. I want to be able to not have dings on my phone and spend my time with my family. And then I, I think what you want to do is articulate those goals. Maybe you're willing to do a little bit of a gray area, but be clear about it. Be clear with your manager. If you're looking for a new job, be clear about that from the beginning and then make sure that they hold you accountable to those things if they don't find a company who will. I know when I first looked outside of my last company at what I was going for, that was a pointed thing that I'd ask about is what is the expectation for, for customers? And if you have a chance to interview other members of the team, just ask them like, hey, 
like, do you get, you know, this was back when Google Hangouts was still a thing. And you'd be like, do you get G chats asking you for requests, right? Like, how is your work managed? Does your, does your manager understand what you are capable of doing in a particular sprint time? And is there a lot of scope creep? And just understand for yourself, maybe that's exciting to me. Maybe that's a dynamic environment. But if you need to know, hey, when my work is done at the end of the day, I'm done, look for an environment that supports that. In, so how how do you set those boundaries? Like, how, and what what are the boundaries to set? Obviously, you've mentioned like certain like not knowing what the expectation is around customers and hours and things like that. But obviously, like how how did you identify what your boundaries needed to be, and then how do you have that conversation to to you know articulate them and make sure they are set in stone? Yeah, that's a good question. And I I think it's easier for me because I lived in a world and worked in a world before like mobile phones had email on them, which might be a strange memory for some people listening. But, you know, it used to be you had to have a computer and you only had your email on your computer where you had internet. And so when I first started in the nonprofit space, I, I was our web developer. <laughs> we had a physical server. And if the power went out, I had to go turn on the physical server before people's email would work again right and so I just had this reminder coming from that space of nobody expected anyone in our office to reply to emails on the weekend because these are people who had worked their careers for a long time and that had never been an expectation so I kind of had an idea of what's reasonable I think depending on where you the listener are listening look around you and see like what are leaders doing like are they sending emails at 1 a.m in the morning if so does that mean that people are assuming they also need to be checking these and replying, right? Be clear with your direct manager, like, these are the hours that I work, right? Is there a problem with that? Most of the time, what I found is some people just reply all hours because that's what they do. Like they re- they look on their phone, it's an easy answer, they reply. Just get clarity with the people that you're ultimately responsible to, your managers, right, for your performance and say, what's the expectation? And check that that expectation matches what you want. For me personally, time is one of those things you'll never get back. I have three small children, I'm never gonna get their childhoods back. So I absolutely, don't want to look back and remember my weekend time and my evening time being a time where I was balancing trying to cook dinner trying to play with them trying to understand their work day and do email so everybody on my team knows I have small children they know that I'll get back to them and I'll say they all have my cell phone number if something important comes up they know how to call me and that's how I balance the expectation of being available if I needed to be which I've never had an emergency cell phone call for the record with just being able to say If you start to blur the line and say, well, sometimes it's okay, I think there's a chance that you could allow yourself to to have that line blurred or that others could blur it for you. So just just make the choice. What's my priority? And then put it first and set that as your standard. And that's that's something that when you join a company, you have that discussion up front and and like everyone knows the boundaries then and and you, you can kind of identify whether that's the right company for you or not. Absolutely. And I'd say like, clearly to me, if you have a conversation like that with a recruiter and they're not sure about it, that's probably not the right company for you, right? If you get to the hiring manager and they go, well, I don't know about that. There's a a saying like fail fast, fail fast on that one and say, we're clearly not meant to be together, you know? 
Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting on your point about emails because I remember when when emails first like you remember Blackberries when they were a thing. Mm-hmm. When you could get your work emails on your BlackBerry, I was in such a rush to do it. Like I was like, this is crazy. Like how cool is this? Like <laughs> I can get emails on my phone. Like back then I, I have probably got like one work email at the time. I wasn't even working in recruitment at the time, but I was like so happy about it. And now I wish I could never get emails on my phone. <laughs> I wish there was no LinkedIn app. I just wish I had like one of those old school phones where all you could do was play Snake because that they were the good days. Yeah, well, and I'll say like, I mean, there's a lot of people who I don't want to say emails a game, but I'm really proud to say that I'm at inbox zero. I'm a regular inbox zero person, but I'm not busting it over it. Sometimes I'm at inbox zero. A wise manager told me once, sometimes just emails where you're on a needs to know. If you don't reply and no one ever asks you about it again, you probably didn't need to worry about it. So trying to identify early, am I the actor of this or am I a plethora of cc's right i have a system where i forward my emails to trello i use trello to manage my work and so if it's not important i put it on trello i have a backlog i prioritize my backlog for myself so you can you know within your work day you can say like you accommodate for priorities without saying i'm gonna always be working overtime because i had too much work and i couldn't get it done (laughs) so you seem really organized and is that like to have those boundaries and to say and to be true to yourself and, and follow those boundaries and like you said not not creep into the, the the times that you said you wouldn't be working and things like that does that just come down to your organization because some people won't be that organized and then you know that kind of that they might not work so well for them yeah so so I think here's how I'd put it right like I think my manager would would vouch for me if I said I'm a high performing employee right and so if you listening are a high performing employee, then your manager knows they want to retain you. And you should be in a position where you can ask for realistic work-life balance, right? So my organization, I would say, isn't directly a factor, but I am a high performer, partly because I'm very organized. And so things don't slip. And so again, it goes back to like, if your manager articulates clear goals for you, you meet or exceed those goals, you're performing well, and you say, hey, by the way, I have this balance that I need, right? I think you could make that argument, even if you're not looking to move companies. But say I listened to this podcast and a light bulb came on. Why am I replying to slacks out of hours, right? I want to put some balance in my life. I want to do this hobby. I want to go to yoga. And I don't want to have to turn my phone on vibrate because I'm getting pings all the time, right? It's, It's being able to figure out how can I have that conversation? And I think if you're not switching roles, being able to demonstrate, remember, I'm a really great employee and you want to retain me. So let's talk about what retention means. It means balance. Yeah. I think that could be a way to have that conversation. Yeah, 100%. So we've, we've talked about the fact that, you know, consulting can be right for working parents or can be right for anyone, really. There's no kind of bar to you, you shouldn't be a consultant because of X, Y, Z. But why did consulting appeal to you? Yeah, it's funny. So consulting did not, it wasn't something on my radar at all. I'll say I I had my first child and I was just coming back to work from maternity leave and everything had changed. I was at the startup before that I was, I'd stay late. I would do kind of like 
activities, like fun activities, culture club, stuff like that. I'd be willing to do a fun new project. But man, I had that kid. <laughs> everything changed. I was like, okay, me learning everything new and me being a part of everything was not important to me anymore. What was important was like, I had to be out the door by a certain time to get to daycare on time. I just talked to someone about that today. Like until you have that daycare deadline and you have the walk of shame of my kid is the last kid in that school because <laughs> I missed I missed a meeting, you will know like, okay, this is my life reprioritized, right? So I started to see even coming back from work, like the way I worked before was not going to work with my life as a parent. Austin also is known for horrible traffic. We weren't remote at the time. So it's just another reality. It's like compounded. Like I have to be out not just 30 minutes before, but an hour before because I've got to get there by this time, right? So I had a trusted friend in the community reach out to me about a role in the consulting space. And I had tons of questions. I didn't know anybody who had been a consultant that I could talk to and trust. And I said, what's the expectation for travel? What's the expectation for after hours communication? Like I said, email, Slack. They answered what I wanted and what helped me too was I talked to a few people in leadership and the CEO of this company where I currently am is a father with several children and they just continued to affirm we respect family life and that's really important to us and we want you to know that you can come to us if you think that's a problem and that is the case to this day and that really just helps seal the deal so it, you know not everybody can offer that but I, I would say if you don't have the conversations you'll never know you'll never be able to set the expectation about what you want and to just get clarity with your employer. Like an employer shouldn't have to ask you, are you going to put me first or your family first? It should be obvious. You're probably yeah. going to put your family first. So you're really just saying, now that we acknowledge this is my reality, let's talk about how we make this work. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So how do companies appeal to, um, because and, until you had that discussion, you, you weren't sure, right? You didn't know if consulting would be right for you or this organization. And I think sometimes companies don't even get to have that conversation because people might be put off by the reputation or the brand or the, you know, the perception of hours and things like that. So how do you think a company can appeal to working parents or parents with, you know, other priorities outside of the hours or workplace? How do you position yourself as a, a friendly environment for people that do have other responsibilities? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'd say like, at least in the Salesforce space, right, all of us are being inundated with job requests and stuff that may or may not apply to us. So the first thing would be, I'm going to offer some tips, put them in the job description if you can. Nobody's going to click a link to go read about your culture. You need to put it in that first piece of material that someone would be reading about the role. And there's specific benefits that you might already have, okay, that you just need to state really clearly, just like you state about you're not going to discriminate, all that stuff. Some things I like to think about that you could put in is, you know, a flexible working policy for a working lunch that would support school pickup. If you're already allowing employees to do that today, articulate it. Like, if you need to block an hour for lunch, most people do that. If you need to block it at a different time, you're going to work at your desk for a school pickup. Just say so, right? Anybody, maybe it's a yoga appointment, like I said, but you're, you're calling out, we respect you as a human who can do your work on a time schedule and block your own time, okay? If you have an employee resource group, those have become even more visible with the pandemic, but you might already have a group for parents, a group for single parents, a group for diversity, a group for people who are underrepresented. All these things say, I care about people connecting and, and helping make a space for them here. 
So you may not have to do any work to say, we have these resource groups here. And if, if the leaders of those groups are open to putting their contact information, you know, like I know if it were me and I was looking and there was a working parent group, I would really consider if the role looked good, talking to them to say, you know, even before I maybe talk with a technical team, tell me what it's like to work here. Because if, mm-hmm. if they kind of go, mm, I don't know, or it's going to be tough, it's high, it's a, it's a lot of velocity, you might say, okay, I'm not going to, it's not worth following up with this recruiter. The other big thing, especially in this pandemic, is if you figured out that employees can work remotely, offer 100% remote and mean it. None of this, it's remote now until Delta is finally done and you're back in the office. Anyone who works in Salesforce, can work from home if they have an internet connection. So, you know, not, it's not true for every job, but it is true for Salesforce. And I mean, I've, I've done go lives, I've done UATs on sites as a consultant, totally remote. So that shows again, I trust you to manage your time and do your job, right? That's what that says. Separate from parents and kind of those strategies, there's this reality that I see parodied a lot in the Salesforce space. And it's again in the job description, but it's a job description that's really like three to four positions within the one job description. And as I was writing out examples, there was like a rhyme. So I made a little song for it. I'm going to attempt to like kind of sing it. Okay. So it's like, this is what the job description might read. We need a data loader, an apex coder, a business analyst who'll QA for us, a DevOps guru who'll be on call too with lots of certs and years of experience, of course, right? So if you have a role that looks like that, that's not one human. I mean, it could be, but that's not one balanced human. That's a team of people. And so you need to, you know, we're getting a little bit smarter as candidates. And to us, if I see a role that has three roles in one, that tells me you don't understand the space. You don't understand what you need. And you're just like shotgun putting out a role that you might have copied and pasted. And you don't really, you haven't done your homework on what you need and what that needs for the team. So you should be a little bit more savvy about that kind of thing before you post it out there. The other thing I've started to pay more attention to recently is look for companies that are hiring junior admins. And the thing about junior admins is it shows that the company recognizes that there's a lot of work to be done in Salesforce. Their current team is solid, but their current team needs more help, right? Like instead of trying to put more work on their existing team, which is a reality happening today, someone listening, that could be your reality, right? Like at some point, new people need to be brought in and trained. And so a company to me that is also hiring for junior admins has already demonstrated that they recognize they need to bring people in to help their seniors who might be needing to be involved in more of that architect role. You know, you don't want to find yourself in a place where you're the only architect and then you have to go home at night after all those meetings and build because you have more meetings the next day. That's not a solution for success. I'll, I'll kind of conclude with there's a saying I've heard, right? If you're the smartest person in the room, you need to find a new room. And so if you find that any of these things sound like you, just be thinking about like, am I learning and growing, right? And so for a company, like you need to facilitate a place where your team can be learning and growing. And you want to make sure they're growing because Salesforce people in general, we're hungry. We want to learn more. We want to solve business problems. Give us a team to solve them with and interesting problems. We'll be happy, right? But if it gets stagnant, there's a lot of red tape, those could be reasons that someone, even a candidate would kind of go, I don't know if that's the right room for me. Yeah, I, I love that. Like I, all of what you just said is, is so true. And, um, and there's some really great tips in there for companies and also for job seekers. Uh, on that last point, I think that's, that's really the, the first thing that people pop their head up when they're looking for work because they've stopped learning. 
So that's, that's really important. People that identify, well, what's the next learning point for people in the team? Because if they, are, if they don't have that in mind as a manager, then, then that's when they're losing staff. My, my final question, because you, you've been really clear on your priorities and you know, your, you, your employer knows that, your, your, your colleagues know that, your priority is family first. Um, in the Salesforce ecosystem, there's this race for certifications. And as an architect, there can be some kind of, not uh, pressure, but maybe expectations that one day you might strive to be a CTA. So how, how do you, and, and not, that you're, um, not that you're doing bad on the certification front at all, you've got lots already, but how, how do you feel about certifications? And have you ever, have you ever felt that kind of expectation to, to, to keep cramming them in and, and strive for, for that CTA goal? Yeah, great question. And I'd say like, the most important thing I see is to take stock of your life MBOs. Like we said, what are your life goals and make sure that you have your career path that aligns to that and then see how and what certifications will empower me to pursue that career path, right? CTA is an amazing professional accomplishment. It's going to require a lot of work to get there. And it's going to mean there's this idea like when you say yes to something, you say no to other things, right? Saying yes to becoming a Salesforce certified CTA is going to be a lot of no's to a lot of free time unless your company is going to take some of their time to put you there, right? And then look at what does CTA mean? Like most companies are not looking for a CTA. Like they might be looking for someone like me. We can design, we can do architecture, we might have just 10 or 11 certifications, whatever. But the idea is like most companies don't need that. So ask yourself, why would this be part of my career path, right? And if it's not a logical next step, don't just follow it blindly because it is the apex of this pyramid developed around Salesforce at this point in time. You know what I mean? Align it with what you need. There's this saying, you know, keeping up with neighbors and just what people around you are doing. And I just say, consciously say, that's not what I'm going to do. I have my goals. I reevaluate them often. I align my career path with them. And if I'm going to pursue something, it's going to be because it's furthering my goals. I have an example here that I want to that I want to talk about. So I got this certification voucher over a year and a half ago. I signed up for something and like won it or whatever. So I signed up for this exam that I intended to just totally learn and study for. I have never worked in this particular cloud, but I thought, hey, I got a free voucher. Why not? Right. Then um, my third child came along and I said, like, okay, I'll just push, you know, with Web Assessor, I'll just push that date out a couple of weeks. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll cram for it during my maternity leave. I'm not saying that's a good strategy, but I'm saying, like, I thought, oh, I'll go learn this tool, get a sandbox, dig it around. And then the pandemic hit <laughs> and, and I was like, I'm pushing that out as far as I can. And I will tell you, if I look at my Gmail, I've pushed that certification now probably out four times. It's sitting in December. I have a to-do list on my Trello in November to push it out probably another quarter. <laughs> so it's just one of those things where like, my point is it's a free cert. I mean, it's a free test. Fine if I fail, fine if I don't, but I'm not going to rebalance my life to try to make the thing happen. It's a, it's a nice have, not a must happen. So whether you have a free cert or not, don't just say, well, these people have all these certs. Ask yourself, where do I want to be next? Maybe you love Salesforce, but ultimately your passion is going to be growing teams, right? If it's growing teams, why would you want to be more technical? You're going to hire all those smart people. You don't need to be one of them. So I'd say like, once you know, where is it you want to go, you can start to say, what do the people in those jobs look like with regard to their career path or their certifications? And then ask yourself what it looks like. I'd say in the consulting space I'm in, there's still not a ton of certified professionals. I often find more certifications among people at 
non-consulting companies than I do at consultancies, especially because it's somewhat common for consultants to specialize in clouds. And so you might be a service cloud expert, have no reason to learn about other areas, right? But if you're at a growing company that is using six clouds, you've got a pretty lean Salesforce team, you probably do need to know across that you know, spectrum what's interesting. For my certifications, I'd say I was truly interested in all of the architecture certifications that I took, and they've made me a better designer, like learning about custom sharing, learning about large data volumes. This helps me do my job, and because I'm good at my job, I'm a high-performance individual, which means I can ask my company not to expect me to reply to emails and Slack. So see how that ties back to my goal? <laughs> I'm doing what I can to be that high-value person so I can set my standards and expect to have them Expected. So that's how that can kind of play out for you. I love that. And I think that's a good, uh, good point to end on a good tying up of everything. And I think there's some really valuable points in here for and I, I would suspect people might be listening to this and thinking, you know, I need to, to draw my line and set my boundaries. And how do I have that conversation with my manager and things like that. And I know you've been on the journey of giving back to the ecosystem as well. So if anyone did want to reach out to you and ask some tips or advice, where's the best place to contact you? Yeah, I'd say check me out on LinkedIn. I have a updated picture with my three most important people in my life. And so my name is Maria Hummer. I'm sure there can be a link in the podcast, but feel free to shoot me a connection and a message and I'd be happy to keep the conversation going. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it and loved hearing your story. Thanks. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talent Hub Talk. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love it if you could subscribe and also leave a short review. Um, We're keen for this podcast to reach as many people in the Salesforce ecosystem as possible, and your reviews will help us do that.